Well, hello and welcome everybody. It is that time. It is the end of year show, Tech 37, the final, the final one where we wrap it all up. We make sense of everything uh, that we've been covering and actually give you some action items for going forward. I want to take this moment before I bring on our guests to brag a little bit, not about me, but about them. Uh, Worldwide Technologies Digital Workspace Practice. I came across some interesting statistics and these all play very well into everything we're going to discuss today. Did you know 15,000 customer engagements, 20,000 on-demand digital workspace labs. This is incredible. These are labs, not shows, not marketing stuff. These are labs that you can get hands-on with in the $500 million investment they have made with over how many? 100 plus technology partnerships in the ATC, the Advanced Technology Center. If you're not taking advantage of that, you should be. We'll bring that back up at the again, again at the end. And then we have three guests today, and these three are part of actually 2,000 consultants, engineers, and architects that enable digital workspace initiatives. And that is exactly what most of us are concerned with these days as we wrap things up about what we learned and what we can do to apply that going forward. That is what today's show is about as we look forward to 2022. So let's meet our guests right now, shall we? Well, gentlemen, I think each one of you have been on this show before. can't remember David. I should, probably should have rechecked my notes when we did it first. But let's do some introductions just in case our Tech 37 audience is not aware of you. We'll start right above me here with Mr. Joe Berger. Please introduce yourself, sir. Hey, Rob. Good to be back. Hey, everyone. Joe Berger. I'm the Senior Director for the Digital Workspace Practice here. So I lead a team of engineers and consultants around everything digital workspace related. Uh, it kind of rolls up to you and you have to take responsibility for it. I like that. I'm going yeah. to go with that one as well. Uh, David, I, uh, I was trying to remember if I've had you because I feel like I've known you forever, but tell us what you do for Worldwide Technology and congratulations, by the way, I believe you have a new title that I'll put up on screen here as well. Tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah, uh, Dave Rosenblatt, I'm the Distinguished Solution Architect for Digital Workspace across our global engineering team and I primarily focus on some of our larger customers and uh, the broader digital workspace and business transformational activities within those customers to help put these te technologies in place. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, Yvonne, uh, welcome back. Always good to work with you again. Uh, you're either behind the scenes working with me on something, whether you're actually on camera or not, or now today we get to actually tap into your brilliance directly. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, and hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Yvonne Munesteiger, and I manage our uh, and user computing practice, part of digital workspace, uh, pretty much anything that enables users uh, access to applications and obviously the IT people manage uh, all that stuff, uh, make things easier, hopefully for everyone. So is, was I true in my statistics, just speaking to the group here, you guys represent three of what is around 2000 people that are involved in some form or fashion with enabling customers to be successful in this area? Is that a true statement? Yeah, give or take. I mean, yeah. as a company whole, we've got people who kind of dabble in, you know, digital workspace technologies uh, all across the field and across the world. So, uh, yeah, that, that number, uh, it's kind of it's kind of a big one. But, uh, yeah, it's probably well represented to some degree. Well, if I summarize it, I would say, Joe, you guys have made a commitment <laughs> to to being successful in this space. And it's a, it's a space that changes quite a bit. I'm going to go ahead and bring up, uh, kind of get into our topic here. As we discussed further, we've got uh, everything we're doing in today's show, speaking to the audience now, is based on a, a white paper that uh, all three of these gentlemen and some others uh, spent a lot of time on focusing. And it's what we're going to recommend that you 
take away from this. And um, you can download it at WWT.com. For now, though, we're here to get the expertise behind some of that stuff. And the way you guys set this up, Joe, we'll start with you, is really looking at uh, some things that occurred in 21, um, you know, uh, before we get into kind of a roadmap about what we're going to do in 22. But uh, how would you like to lead us through this? Yeah, thanks, Rob. So uh, in the past few months, we all got together, collected, and said, okay, looking, looking ahead to the future, where do we think organizations need to go? And in order to do that, you had to say, well, what happened in the past year and a half? What were some of the lessons learned, the milestones achieved? And so we, we put together this report. And, you know, like, like you said, you can go out on the website and get the real details of it. But a few things to call out here. I mean, obviously, number one, everyone figured out a work from home model. The ones who had digital workspace initiatives going into the pandemic were set up for success much, much quicker. They didn't miss a beat. It's the ones that really didn't have a great plan of attack that the ones were kind of struggling yeah. initially. Uh, on top of that, we saw a big rise of, of cloud deployments, no surprise there, to get scale, capacity, speed. Many more organizations sped up their cloud deployments and their, their process and strategies there. Um, there, there's a couple of things I'm going to hear. I'm going to, I'm going to get to in just a second. So bear with me. No uh, we saw the rise of video, right? It only took a pandemic to get people to actually start <laughs> turning on the camera. You saw the rise of zoom WebEx teams, same thing with collaboration tools, Slack teams, WebEx teams. Yeah. You saw people finally turning on a lot of these applications that might've been floating around the organization for years. They finally started using them. They use them at full scale. But the, the, the two big ones here that I want to call out that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time on here is number one, we always kind of have a joke around here that it's the year of VDI. I'd say if anything, we saw the VDI use cases really take off. And, and I actually, I'm going to turn to Avon for this one because Avon lives in, in the VDI world and user compute world every day. So Avon, what did you really see over the past year and a half as it relates to VDI and why it became so big again? First of all, uh, there's not a single app uh, presentation that I'm part of that uh, the joke doesn't come out. So uh, <laughs> you're welcome. To cover that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It's either video uh, or VDI. Yes. Those are the two we've been yeah. preaching for years that we're like, this is the year, baby. <laughs> now I really yeah. think it is. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, uh, the VDI piece, uh, it was viewed as a easy way to uh, kind of get all these people that needed to start working remotely, working remotely. And uh, it was, um, I, I'm going to say the cheapest and the simplest, but it was uh, the simplest from the perspective of uh, getting people out there quickly. And that's what ultimately drove uh, this whole uh, notion of VDI and resurgence of that and popularity, uh, I guess, in the last uh, few years. Well, and so, so we joke about, but it, it's taken somewhat of a pandemic to get people to actually do things that probably they have told us directly in many different interactions that this is what they wanted to do, but it's hard. Sometimes organizational change, it feels like organizational change has been somewhat, I don't want to say forced, well, yeah, forced upon us. I don't, David, you look like you're, you're ready to add to the discussion here, not to take you off your mark, Joe, sorry. But David, what do you think? No, but uh, I think you're, you're, you're very accurate. It was a compelling reason, right, to adopt new delivery technologies. And it was VDI for a lot of people was the crutch or the, the, the easiest way to kind of maintain their legacy kind of support model and deliver it in a more abstract kind of way. So for a lot of organizations, that was their first stop was, hey, you know, we, we, we don't have people in the office, but now we'll deliver my virtual desktop from the office. And that was a lot of the mechanisms that helped them to kind of uh, bridge that gap. The, the question then became, and, and we'll talk about it later, is that the go forward strategy that best fits 
uh, their use cases and, and what they need to accomplish. But yeah, that, that really was kind of where it was. And it was kind of that bridge, one of those bridge technologies that allowed people to first kind of uh, make do with what was occurring during the pandemic. Well, Joe, I think you mentioned there's two things you wanted to cover. I think there's there another one. Yeah, there? The, the other big one that we saw, and I, I think you're seeing more at a, at a macro level, why this became really important. It's, it's really that focus on the employee experience. Before COVID, we saw a lot of transformational companies start realizing that their employee experience had to matter. Uh, and then as we hit the pandemic, as people got burned out, as uh, the, the job market heated up, you saw this huge shift in everyone saying, oh, wow, I really have to deliver these critical experiences down to the employee level, because otherwise, guess what? They're going to go get recruited. They're going to take off. They're going to get burned out. And so you saw a lot of organizations start honing in on this. And to be honest, this is where we spend a lot of our time now these days. It's less around which piece of technology is the right fit. It's more around what is the right fit for purpose, fit for purpose tool to that right end user, because end users now have different requirements, different uh, tasks that they have to get done. Everyone's now working in, you know, potentially different scenarios. If yeah. Some are back in the office, some are hybrid, some are remote. So uh, much more focus on the actual employee than ever before. Uh, and I think it, it makes it really interesting. And so uh, as we kind of move along here, uh, and, and I know we got a lot to kind of cover today. So lessons learned out of all of this. Number one, temporary fixes uh, can create long-term damage. What we saw Darn it. everyone at home from the pandemic, they all bought stuff. They said, hey, I got I to gotta go solve for something really quickly. I'm just going to buy stuff. I don't know what it's going to mean to me in a year and a half. I just need to get it done. I think we're now at the point now where what do I do long term? Does that actually make the right fit? Uh, a two, and this is a big one, the security approaches don't necessarily always work. When you get outside of your four firewalls of your building, right? Like things change, security postures change. I know we were just talking earlier around uh, one of the big cloud providers is actually getting hit literally as we speak. You have to take all that into account now. It kind of changes that remote employee experience if security hinders their job or if I can't secure their desktop. Well, let's, uh, let's give a shout out where it's due. I want to give a shout out to the malware developers and hackers out there who have kept us on our toes this last year <laughs> because there's nothing like lowering all your security barriers to try and get a remote workforce going and then get hit with a ransomware attack to remind you that, oh, maybe we should do this in a more uh, secure manner, perhaps. So they're, you know, hats off. It's been an interesting It's year. definitely kept our security team busy, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So number three, this is, goes back to what you brought up about, uh, well, what I learned from you guys, which is the depth of personas and stuff that you guys continue to refine and develop to say, what is, it's not just about throwing a wide, uh, big brush of technology over everybody and they're all equal. Everybody's got different needs and you've been helping kind of adjust to that with, along with your customers. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think David probably started honing in on this a number of years ago. Uh, kind of pr way pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, I credit him for having that insight. David, why don't you kind of talk about why persona modeling and making it dynamic is really important? It, well, it's, it's, it's critical, right? I mean, the, it's about delivering the right set of tools and capabilities to the right set of employees, right? Because that makes the biggest difference in the world. You know, you can give everybody a hammer, but if half of them are painters, it doesn't do anybody any good. good so the whole idea over and over again is to make sure that we're looking at the discrete personality, the workflows and the other capabilities of the employees and delivering the right set of tools 
because size nine doesn't fit everybody, right? It's not, not everybody's a size nine shoe. So those kind of critical aspects in delivering the right technologies to the right groups that fit to their workflows is critical for delivering the employees' needs as well as delivering them an experience that makes their job better, yeah. right? We're not trying to throw tools at people that make things more complex or more difficult. We're trying to give the right tools to the right people to make their jobs better because that's what makes a difference within the organization. Well, and just to, to summarize this end point real quick, obviously the last two items, more tools do not necessarily equal more productivity. And when we talk about moving to the cloud, there's obviously been a huge push and a lot of great technologies um, along with the workflows, as you mentioned, for getting visibility into the cloud uh, because the cloud does offer a lot of answers for everybody, but it's got to be done in the right manner and for the right reasons um, that we've covered multiple times on this show. I want to I want to move on to, to the point that, and let me get back to the beginning here. I had my animation all ready to go. We have five things that you guys wrote about in this paper that I thought were interesting. They all stem from what was learned in 2021. Um, but as we look at, at the roadmap, what are the things that we can apply going forward? Because that's that's most important, than the, uh, but it all ties together. But um, I forget, let's, Joe, can you walk us through number one? Let's spend some time on these if you don't mind. This really goes back to understanding what the employees want. We've seen, um, we started seeing this kind of mentioned earlier that the transformational companies had already taken a look at how do I align business and IT together? And we've seen new, uh, new titles starting to appear, things like the digital workspace experience officer, the employee experience officer, the companies that were progressive started hiring these roles. What we're now seeing are, uh, teams coming together between HR, IT, facilities, who are all trying to solve for this. I think if IT doesn't have that partnership with the line of business, this is where these things typically fail, right? IT goes out, they go buy a tool, they deploy it. If the line of business didn't care for it, it's never gonna go anywhere. And so you really have to have, you really have to have this strong alignment now between these organizations to ensure that IT is delivering the right tool set down to what that end user requirement is going to be. And now that that has to include what HR is kind of recommending and also how his facility is going to help uh, from a space and, and uh, real estate perspective, how are they going to deliver on it as well? Yeah, it, the depth that you guys have to go into to start, because I, I the, the term I've used before is I feel like you guys have been uh, continued to kind of rotate or pivot towards this notion of a cultural uh, change as needed to be successful so that investments are made in the right areas and applied to the right things, the right metrics are being used to measure success. Um, as we as we look at number two going into this one here, why had my slides moving when I wanted to? Let's try this again. Um, David, uh, what it, the, the optimizing the end user experience, it feels like uh, when we talk about this and IT experiences, that stems a lot from what Joe set up here with number one, yeah? Yeah, I mean, one of the, the key things is is kind of growing out of what Joe was saying is that the critical piece is a lot of times is that alignment of of the business and the IT leaders as well as the line of business and what they're demanding, what they're looking for. And that way you can tie in kind of that optimized set of technology to deliver those sets of experience that are meaningful to the organization itself, right, as well as the supportable by the IT organization, right? You know, like with the pandemic and a shift towards like paperless office, right? You know, how are we handling digital signatures? How are we doing all those types of things? How are we delivering the intricate different applications and capabilities that people need to do their work and making sure that that aligns with, with the direction the business is going? Are they going or moving towards a more mobile workforce, right? So do we need to deliver things more mobily? Are they looking at things from a different perspective of streamlining and automating workflows? What are the technologies that we're, we're building in the IT stack in order to deliver those pieces as well? Because if we can align 
to the organization and where, where they're driving to and start to deliver the, under, the, the underlying technology pieces to help them to get there or accelerate that development and that growth, then it improves the lives of all the end user experiences, as well as it streamlines all the processes within the IT organization and gets those all kind of moving in the same direction. Otherwise you have the IT group building a platform to someplace over here and line of business trying to go way over here, right? And those two things create a mismatch, a lot of costs and missed expectations and missed opportunities within the organization. And Yvonne, I apologize. Maybe. I think I had it in my notes that you had some comments on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. I was just going to add. Um, I mean, from that perspective, honestly, uh, if we don't address some of these uh, things that David was just mentioning, uh, the problems that we're going to see is uh, going to be a, a slow response that IT uh, will actually do when it comes to bringing up new applications to the users, which will cause all kinds of other things, such as shadow IT and things like the the things that organization doesn't want to see. Uh, that's the big problem that we're going to see. Also, you're going to have the, a lot of tools that you're going to have to maintain if you don't have that great uh, technology direction. Uh, and that's going to slow things down. It will decrease the actual uh, experience for the users uh, that you're trying to actually uh, service. So that's all that kind of plays a big role in the mix, right? And so I think it's very important for uh, for an organization to actually, now that we kind of know what the goals are from a business perspective, let's figure out what do we need to do from a technology perspective and figure out where the gaps are. And that kind of starts with like a assessment and audits that we need to do on the front end. So then we can create this roadmap for organizations so they can actually start following that. Um, and then at the end of the day, create a plan uh, of how we're going to execute because Usually there's going to be a lot of things on this list. And so how do you eat the whale? Well, one bite at a time, but you got to pick where you're going to start. And usually we start with the things that uh, lead toward uh, uh, quickest wins for IT and ultimately for organization users. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I know the way you guys work, it, customers come to you and, you know, and ask for a certain technology like, hey, we want your help deploying VDI. And like it or not, I know that you guys are pushing back and saying, well, why do you think you need VDI? We may be pro for it, and, and, and we work with a lot of great technologies for doing that, but at the same time, it doesn't make a hill of beans difference if you're not ready for it and if you're not really doing it for the right reasons. Um, I want to, I'm curious, going on to this third point here, when we talk about rethinking your physical space, Joe, it feels like one of the things that's jumped out at me is we've dragged on long enough with this pandemic stuff as we're now almost fully two years into it. Um, and so I think we've all dropped the notion of kind of saying, uh, you know, I remember us, we we're very focused on uh, what, what's our return to work. And I, and I think that we've all come to the same conclusion and it's different for everybody. I'm going to acknowledge that there, there are unfortunately many places out there, many businesses that, uh, that you guys work with from a technology perspective that don't have the remote workforce capabilities and you do a different set of things for them. But when it comes to this, it feels like this is work now. Uh, it's not a matter of returning to something we used to remember and that we'll tell our kids about the way it used to be. But Joe, when it comes to rethinking your physical space, what does that mean? Is that the office space? Is that a home space somewhere in between? Uh, honestly, it's both. I, I would say right now, you know, it's December. Uh, the, the RTO return to office conversations, one of the hotter conversations that we're getting into. And the reason being is Everyone is starting to realize now they've done the internal surveys. They realize, you know, 30 to 50% of their employee population probably only wants to come in one to three days a week. Uh, but it's, it's now saying, okay, what do I do with my real estate footprint? Do I, do I downsize it? Do I need all these offices? And then when I do reopen, does that mean everyone gets the same desk? 
Do we have hot desking or hoteling? And then from there, it's like, well, if people are only going to come in three days a week, what is the purpose of coming in? It's probably going to be to collaborate with others. So that changes the nature of what the office is for, right? It's not for coming in and doing individual work at a cubicle. It is now doing more work in a conference room. Well, how many conference rooms do you have? One of the stats we always go through now, it's uh, what the analysts are saying, or 98% of your meetings now will have at least one virtual or remote participant. So that means you're going to see more things like video conferencing endpoints, you know, video cameras up in more conference rooms. I think traditionally video has been kind of seen as the executive boardroom or maybe in only certain floors might have fully video uh, enabled rooms. You're going to see more and more video uh, around the office, as well as how do you schedule that room? How do you ensure that my team has 10 seats for us all to go sit in when we go back in? And then if you look at a little bit bigger, it's, well, is my my network and my Wi-Fi density built for all this stuff? Now that I'm going to have everyone sitting at their desk, maybe being on a Zoom call, can my Wi-Fi handle that new workload? Uh, so everyone's kind of rethinking, what does that now have to mean? And, you know, until you actually open the office, you don't quite know what you're going to get, right? It's hard to plan for that. Yeah. But that's that's kind of how we're helping people start thinking about this, shaping it out, understanding some of the tools and technologies to do it. Um, but it's really a kind of a trial and error and figuring out what works and taking the metrics and, and really taking that data and really making right decisions off of it. Well, David, I want to jump to you for number four on this notion of an evergreen IT model. And I think, let's hope I got the, the right graphic up as we look at this. Uh, so I'll pop this one up for a moment. But do you mind explaining the work here and what this means and how it applies to us in 2022? Yeah, I mean, it even kind of fits in with what Berger was just saying, right? Uh, even with return to office, we're seeing people look for like these more agile type work workspaces and stuff and the ability to kind of evolve and change over time. And that kind of fits into the broader sense of this evergreen IT, right? We're, we're trying to move away from these big kind of forklift monster kind of major upgrades or transitions within the work experience and the other areas and move into a more agile and responsive uh, capability. It also has kind of an added benefit of kind of smoothing out some of those big expenditures and costs that we see over time instead of having um, you know, and it's, it's kind of making it sure it fits where it fits, right? You know, yeah. in some organizations, they benefit from a big bang upgrade in like one department or one group, like maybe like the manufacturing team or the engineering team, you know, kind of treating them holistically and then doing big bangs there. But across the rest of the enterprise, maybe a, a more smoother kind of continuously evolving set of approach. But it's also really very key around the approach and alignment with the business as well, because you could have a perfect plan on a three year roadmap for where the line of business is right now. But there's almost like a margin of error kind of coming in. Let's say you're one or two degrees off and year one, you're going to be 10 degrees off and year two, you're going to be 50 degrees off and year three, you're not even close to the mark. But by having this continuous like kind of evergreen model, you're more agile and able to adapt to the individual needs as well as advancements in the different applications, devices and different areas of your stack. So shifting in there both shifts both the support construct and the operational aspects as well as what you're delivering to your end users because if you're supporting also in more of an evergreen type model you're not supporting these big forklift transformational upgrades as much as incremental improvements and change so it smooths out some of the processes that you have hit there so even operationally you can kind of improve both the end user experience as well as your support construct so that you're more um, responsive and more proactive within the organization and are moving your support stack 
kind of more to the left, like, you know, in AI ops, they always refer to it as, you know, moving kind of that stuff to the left so that that way you can be more prescriptive and then, you know, produce better outcomes that are more aligned with the line of business. So it helps us both a, a cost avoidance kind of model, as well as a continuous improvement model and a shift to more agile type services within the organizations. And has that been learned from some hard knock experience over the last year in terms of kind of evolving this into yeah, there's a, make less mistakes? The short answer is yes. I mean, yeah. um, so, I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, even with the pandemic accelerated quite a bit of this as, as the landscape changed and reaction changed, people had to become more agile across the organization as things shift into the cloud and the consumerization of IT and their expen their ex expectations that I will get continuous improvement. Like every month, my apps get a little bit better. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you used to buy a car, you know, uh, and you're on a five year car cycle, right? Your, your experience in your car changed every five years. Now things like Tesla and over there updates, right? You know, your car, you know, next week I'll get uh, uh, another video game in my car, you know, that didn't exist before or something along yeah. those lines like that, that expectations of that change of experience is there as well. Right. So it's, it's very different, right? IT is transitioning from that old legacy, you know, you're, you are where you are for the next five years. And in five years, you get something different to let, we have to continuously maintain pace with what both what the line of business needs as well as what the organization needs because their, their needs are changing. Yeah, well, you're maybe, stabbing me. Uh, maybe to add here, uh, Rob, uh, uh, we actually had a, a one specific example comes to mind. It was a large manufacturer uh, that came to us uh, with that problem. They were trying to be more reactive. They were trying to cut the cost down on some of these major upgrades they were doing once every four or five years. And ultimately, uh, we did a bunch of studies for them to help them with that and kind of move them into more evergreen uh, models. So, again, there's just one example that comes to mind that uh, we were helping uh, one of the large customers of ours with that same problem. And I always feel, I always wish we had more time for the customer stories because uh, we always have to set these things up. And then I know you guys each have multiple stories where we always have to remind ourselves not to mention names. Uh, but what's always blown me away is the fact that um, – I always like the examples you guys bring that are not the typical carpeted office IT example that I've kind of lived in for the last 30 years. You know, it's the it's the people that are out, whether it's a trucking company or a retail operation or just any number of things, because everybody is affected by this. Everybody is working on a digital experience in some form or fashion, and they have their own set of personas, as you guys mentioned. Um, on this last point, Ivana, let me come back to you on this one. Um, I'm curious about uh, this this notion of experience parity. What does that mean, and why is that important? Well, to give you an example, I mean, uh, a lot of people when uh, pandemic hit, they they pushed people home, uh, and they had certain, I guess, experiences working from home. And now that we're talking about bringing them back to the office. Uh, Maybe there is this old style of what we used to do in the office and the two experiences don't match. The process doesn't match. And ultimately, that is not a good, uh, uh, I guess, uh, strategy at all for retaining employees and attracting new talent and being productive overall. So no matter where that person is working, that experience has to be good and has to be the same. And that's the parity that uh, I think we're trying to achieve here uh, when we talk to our customers. And actually, our customers are trying to achieve. Uh, but that is, again, a shift a little bit. Uh, used to be like, again, two totally different scenarios that you were attracting uh, employees for. And now it's all this hybrid work that needs to be the same, in a sense. I don't know if that makes sense. And just to, and just to kind of piggyback on, on Yvonne there, like it, it's also the concept that, you know, if 
you're not given an advantage by only coming into the office. It's not like a mandate to a certain part of the organization that like the only way you're going to advance in the company is if you show up Monday through Friday kind of bit is being able to allow the level of contribution from a remote participant that mirrors or is as close as possible to those that are physically there. Cause that's a real key, especially around retention and other things associated to it. Right. If you're, if your idea is that I'm going to have the best people possible, uh, regardless of geography, right. The people that are fit and can do the role, then you need to be able to give that level of flexibility so that somebody isn't able to come into the office that day or is remote or is somewhere else. They're just as enabled to participate and contribute instead of just attend and witness. Yeah. Right. And that's the real big difference that we're seeing in a drive towards a lot of these end user technologies and a lot of things like the physical space planning that Joe mentioned, as well as the video and other aspects is is enablement to participate. Right. And to co enablement to contribute, not just attend. Yeah, I think I think saying parity is an interesting term here because it's it's really well, it's parity, but it's also uh, equality of the employee. Right. We all went home and guess what? We all got the same two inch box on our screen on video. It didn't yeah. matter what role you're in, you had that same two inch box on that WebEx or Zoom call. Now we go back into the office and for, you know, there's 30% of people or whomever, how many there are, we go back in. Now you're sitting side by side, but you still have this population of the workforce who's still in that two inch box. How, how does that end up shaping out? How do the same people get, you know, does everyone have the same voice? Do they get raises if they're not sitting side by side anymore? And so, that's what a lot of companies are going to try to solve for as we start going into this really hybrid scenario where you're in and out and some people don't ever come in. I think yeah. that's what what parity and inclusiveness will end up being. It's how does everyone have the same playing field, even though someone might always be seeing face to face every day. And so uh, it's going to be a challenge for organizations, but that's that's how some of these tools and how we kind of help shape this up for companies. Yeah. Well, in keeping with the theme that I've heard throughout your lessons learned, as well as on the roadmap going forward about employee experience and the, the focus and the understanding of the individuals, which, you know, that's that's uh, a lot to swallow. Uh, but I think two big things jump out at me. I feel like uh, stars in your organization that used to be able to kind of hustle and show by arriving at the office early, staying late. Um, you know, I, God, I remember 25 years ago, I had a manager. I want to say what company I was working for, large telecom. Uh, and my manager had encouraged me to take up smoking so that I could hang out with certain decision makers in the smoking area. It was like, dating it there. I'm not a smoker. Wasn't a smoker. Didn't start smoking. Cause I'm like, I don't know that that's the strategy I'm going to embrace, but it, but it's that physical, you know? And so as we look at navigating our careers, there's one thing. And then I think of the, 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 the huge, the numbers of middle managers that are also struggling as they say, how do I motivate and stay on top of a workforce and feel like, you know, because the, the, the terminology I used to use was a line of sight manager who didn't think you were working unless they could see you. Um, obviously, that doesn't work as well in this type of scenario. Are you guys seeing customers get creative and come in and ask for yes. their tools or practices? Yeah. Yes. Okay, David. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the key thing, right, is is how do you measure productivity? And it depends really very much on the, the, the people in the organization and what their job role and their other aspects associated to it. You know, there's forever, you know, if somebody's on a call center or whatever, there's been very clear measures of, of productivity and, and contribution, right? Not so much probably from the creative in the marketing department, right? You know, having somebody logged in for eight hours a day doesn't necessarily mean they're totally productive or, or, or aligned to tasks, right? So looking at what those measures of productivity that are, are right, 
both for the organizational culture as well as the job role are really kind of become kind of critical, right? You know, how are we measuring productivity? What does that mean, right? Is it log in, log out time, right? We had some organizations early in the pandemic that had productivity improvements because they were just saying, hey, people used to only log in for eight hours when they came in the office and now they're logged in to their computer for nine hours when they're working from home were they actually able to contribute more or was it taking them longer to do their tasks, right? Like that was yeah. some of the stuff that we followed up in to figure out what was really kind of going on that was associated with that. And in many cases, people were actually being more productive. Some of it was fear of losing their job during the pandemic, right? Fear is a good motivator. Now on the other side of this with the great resignation and, and more about attracting talent and capability, you can't grind somebody into the ground anymore around productivity. You need to make sure the measurements fit for, for there and people are rewarded for it accordingly, right? And people aren't gaming the system and doing other stuff and creating uh, disruptive activities within the workforce by, by doing that. So all those types of things are, are real critical, but it's, it's hard to say, hey, here's the number one measure of productivity you should be targeting because it really matters about your organization, its culture, and the activity and the job role of the individual you're measuring. I, and I feel like what you're saying though, is you're saying it's good management is still has to be good management. And the, the, the strategies have to change, but maybe they needed to change in some situations beforehand. And this becomes a forcing function, like the idea of being more flexible, being nimble, uh, be able to work from anywhere and things like this is kind of defining, you know, what is the next successful organization look like? Let me get final comments. We're going to go a few minutes over. I'll tell our audience here real quick, but I want to get a final comment from each of you. I'm going to play a little background music, so please don't be alarmed. Uh, but uh, Yvonne, I'll start with you. What's most important to remember and what are you hey, taking actually, away from hey, this? Actually, hey, Rob, oh, yeah. before I do that. To prove that we are a live oh. Tech 37 right now, we do have a question from an audience member. Oh, please. Uh, Thank just, you for watching. I, our marketing team just pinged us out. It just proves how live this is in real time, right? Stop the music for uh, One of the questions, and, and this is more for Yvonne, I'd say, than anybody. What are some of the revolutionary or evolutionary VDI or alternatives? So, Yvonne, from an EEC perspective, you know, is, is there yeah. something great new from a VDI perspective or is there something different now in terms of application access and, and secure desktop? Oh, yeah. Stuff? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've cha we've seen changes in VDI and uh, ultimately uh, it's not anymore a traditional way of running VDI. Now we're uh, looking at can we run this VDI sessions from cloud again, embracing cloud. Cloud was a big uh, uh, part in this whole thing. And so ultimately we've seen a lot of shifts in technology to actually enable that piece. Uh, and then holistically, you know, to enable all this, any application and any device uh, capabilities, uh, we are seeing uh, this new way of managing all these assets, uh, all these devices that users uh, need to and want to use. And that has really been uh, kind of a shift toward modern management uh, of that. And that all that combined, uh, those all different tools that can uh, contribute toward this hybrid work from anywhere uh, type of a, uh, workforce that we're now um, living in. That's really the, I guess, uh, the message here from my end. I, I think for me, VDI, what I've seen from mainly from you guys, actually, is that VDI no longer, it used to mean sacrifice of some sort. And to me, it only meant certain type of positions were eligible for maybe embracing that technology. Because I understood no one likes rolling out computers that we've hated that for years, um, you know, and giving too much. But at the same time, there were users that needed certain powers that could only be done from a local processor and, and things like that. And, and there still are, but there's much less. Uh, it feels like VDI doesn't feel like VDI. And suddenly it opens up also the fact that we all tend to use multiple devices. I, so I like 
I, I think there's not a sacrifice with it, and it's definitely worth looking at as far as giving you more control over your operation. Your probably your licensing costs get a whole different model and and everything else to potentially look yeah. at. So that's a good one for 22. We've, we've got very creative with VDI use cases and technologies now there to support it. You know, from high end graphics uh, type of scenarios to traditional ones that we've seen uh, to just being able to publish certain applications. VDI actually means a lot of different things these days uh, to uh, to companies. So that's also something we try to, again, define as we're looking through persona style uh, assessments. Uh, so, we, so we know which particular tool actually is going to be the best for that particular use case. Good point. Joe, is there anything else? You, you no, jumped in and redirected that, uh, me, so I don't want to jump in too fast. Yeah. I don't mind. Oh, this is fun. I'm sure I'll get pinged in a sec, but no, that's all. I, uh, that was the main one right now. Sure <laughs> right. No worries. <laughs> well, we'll take that as Yvonne's last comment, if you don't mind, Yvonne, but let me know if otherwise. But okay. David, a final no. comment from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what, what's key is is identifying what's fit for purpose within an organization, kind of setting that North Star, building out kind of an agile roadmap that can adapt and change and aligning the organization to it. And those are really kind of those critical set of pieces and being able to show that incremental improvement to the lines of business to show that you're really driving towards improving their environment. And if you can do that, then you can start to be successful and become more proactive instead of the reactive force that you've been kind of jammed into. Well put, well put. Joe, final final word. What do we need to remember here? I, I, you know, I think the big thing is that employee experience, how crucial it is. Employees have got so much more leverage than they've ever had before uh, between the great resignation and uh, this hot job market. So if you, aren't, if you aren't focused on it right now and partnered between the lines of business and HR and IT, it it's time to do it. Uh, otherwise, you're going to lose really good talent if it's not a priority. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, guys. I'll just a reminder to our audience, everything we've been talking about today is based on a white paper that these three gentlemen uh, took kind of led, I'm sure there are other people involved because there always are, uh, but it's actually very, very good. A lot more detail behind everything we're talking about here as far as getting pragmatic, making that full rotation to a digital experience in the right way as opposed to the reactive, how do I stay alive at any cost type of way. Let's do what's right for the business as we move forward. Um, I, 2021, I don't know if it's been fun necessarily. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed working with you guys. It's been a great year, uh, but I always, as usual, I look forward to 2022 and, and Gosh, I, but I don't even want to try and predict what I think will happen in the big picture view of things. Let's just buckle up, make sure we're all prepared as we can be. I thank you for your time. To our audience, thank you guys for watching Tech 37 and for joining us today. If you're watching on the replay, just insert wherever appropriate. We sure love you guys and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll let you back to it. Take care.